You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. And God gives permission during this period of time, gives him the key to the shaft of the abyss, and he unlocks the shaft, and he looses these fallen angels that are the most rebellious and evidently the most powerful, but presently are not permitted to roam the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for that. They're not allowed to roam around the world now seeking someone along with their master to devour. But in this coming day, key open the shaft, and here they come. Many of us would agree that the judgments described in the book of Revelation are quite unsettling to say the least. From waters being turned to blood, famine, disease, and more, sheer terror doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of descriptors. As Pastor Danny will teach you in his message today, things will be taken to a whole other level when fallen angels are released from the pit. In his study, you'll learn about the wrath of these demons that will be unleashed on a world of chaos and destruction. Now here's Pastor Danny in Revelation chapter 9 for today's edition of The Living Word. Revelation chapter 9. It's the period known as the Great Tribulation. Awful time coming upon the world. And a little bit of trivia, uh, Bible trivia here that that you may not notice, uh, just regular reading, but there are seven trumpet judgments that come from the seven sealed scroll that Jesus leashes to begin the Great Tribulation. And the first four trumpet judgments God tells us about, listen, first four, God tells us about in six verses. Six verses. Now we get to chapter nine. As the fifth trumpet sounds, he's going to begin to tell us a lot more detail. Why? Because the intensity of the judgments increase. They increase. This chapter, you find more occurrences of words like like and as than any other chapter in the Bible because John the apostle is trying to describe in human terms that he's never had experience with. He's trying to describe what he's seeing. The Old Testament prophets had the same challenges. Now, we're getting ready to jump into chapter 9, but now that you have it, let me throw you a little curve. Keep a marker there. Go back to the Old Testament, that little prophetic letter of Joel. Joel, right before Amos, right after Hosea. Little short letter, but powerful. Chapter 2 of Joel Joel sees things similar to what John sees, describing this great tribulation period. Chapter 2 of Joel and verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. 
Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, paradise. Behind them a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. And here Joel tries to describe what he's seeing. They have the appearance of horses, but they're not horses. They gallop along like cavalry, but not like any cavalry Joel has ever seen. With a noise like that of chariots, but not chariots of ancient history. They leap over the mountaintops. Now for us, we go, oh, I got that one. That's a helicopter. Maybe not. What if it's 200 years from now, 300 years from now? Something more advanced than a helicopter. Another flying military machine. Like a crackling fire consuming stubble. Like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. But Joel seems to suggest they're not human. They scale walls like soldiers. But the impression I get is, it's not human soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They don't jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through the defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses. Like thieves, they enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The sky trembles. The sun and moon are darkened. And the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty are those who obey his command. That's just suggesting that ultimately it's the sovereignty of God behind all the events that are taking place. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? So back, Revelation chapter 9. One more little word of trivia and we jump right in. When the tribulation period begins, and we saw that in chapter 6, as the seals are loosed one at a time, the judgments are mainly horizontal. But as the intensity increases, we'll see that they also come from heaven itself. Here in chapter 9, the judgments come from a third place, from below. From hell itself. Chapter 9, verse 1. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. Pause. One of the scenes I saw in a photo of the recent volcanic eruption in Guatemala, which, by the way... 12 miles from the Ministry of Potter's Field in Antigua, Guatemala, is where that volcano erupted. And one of the scenes I thought of as I read this text and prepared was this huge cloud of dark smoke from the volcano. And the cloud is coming toward people and they are running. When the key goes into the shaft of the abyss... Smoke rises from the abyss like the smoke from a gigantic furnace, the abyss. You find it several places in Scripture. Revelation 11, verse 7, you find it. The beast 
He's called will come up from the abyss. Revelation 17, 8. Revelation chapter 20, when we get there after the great tribulation, during the millennial reign or the thousand year reign of Christ, Satan will be bound in the abyss during the whole thousand year reign. And then you have Luke chapter 8. It's the first biblical case of the devil ham. Oh, you forgot that one. Jesus encounters a man. Uh, he's, he's possessed by a legion of demons. And they beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss. And Jesus gives them permission to go into a herd of pigs because they crave human flesh. But if they can't have human flesh, they want living flesh. So if they can't have the human, they'll take the pigs. And they go into the pigs and the pigs rush down the steep cliff and drown. You might know that story. It's the first biblical case of the devil ham. If I got to explain it to you, you're just not paying attention. Let me show you this verse from that little New Testament letter of Jude. Here's what it says. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home. These he, God has kept in darkness. Bound with everlasting change for judgment on the great day. The great day, according to Joel, is the day of the great tribulation, the day of God's wrath. Apparently, in a real place, somewhere down below, a place called the abyss, there are angels that fell when Lucifer rebelled. The star given the key to the shaft, when you get to Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, you see a dragon represents Satan. Here's what it says. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. This is the verse that causes scholars to believe that when Satan rebelled and other angels went with him in his rebellion, one third of God's created angels went with him and they now are fallen angels. They are demonic. So this star that has this key to the shaft of the abyss appears to be a fallen angel serving Lucifer and God gives permission during this period of time, gives him the key to the shaft of the abyss and he unlocks the shaft and he looses these fallen angels that are the most rebellious and evidently the most powerful but presently are not permitted to roam the earth. Now I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for that. They're not allowed to roam around the world now seeking someone along with their master to devour. But in this coming day, key, open the shaft, and here they come. And it's sci-fi kind of stuff, but it's real. Look, chapter 9, verse 3, and out of the smoke from the abyss, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were not told to harm the grass, told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. These aren't normal locusts. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Catch that. In this day that's coming... 
It'll be the closest thing to hell on earth that the world has ever seen. People are in hell right now that have died physically. They are there and they long to die, but they can't die. They already died. In this coming day, people evidently still living in their bodies that'll be stung by these demonic locusts. Weird, but that's what it says. And they'll long to die. I don't know if you've ever been stung by a scorpion. I have not. I don't want to be. Former pastor in my previous ministry, Vivian Laird, who's now with the Lord. He and his wife, Marilyn, spent many years in Africa as missionaries. 35 years, many of those years in the Sudan. Viv had amazing stories. I could never get him to tell his stories while he was teaching the Bible. He thought that was being proud. But he would tell me over coffee or a meal. He said, yeah, we had, uh, we had the only treatment for scorpion bites anywhere in the area of the Sudan where we ministered because they were the only people who had a motor vehicle. And he said people would come from miles away in these villages, these remote villages, if they got stung by a scorpion because we had the only treatment that would really make a difference. And it was their motor vehicle. And when Viv first told me the story, I'm like, nah, really? What they would do is they crank up the car, they take the spark plug wire, and wherever the bite was, they put the spark plug wire to the bite, and the electricity would take the sting out of the bite. And one of my favorite stories of Viv telling about people coming from miles around in the middle of the Sudan for their scorpion therapy was one very large lady. And he said the biggest challenge was getting her up on the thing because the bite was right here. And they had to get her up on top of the motor. But they did. And she was thankful. I figured in such a gory chapter, I got to throw in a little humor. During those days, days, men will seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. These locusts. Now, let me give you a little side note. We'll move on. (laughs) I think this is fascinating. I discovered this last week in my study that the Navy not long ago launched a new program. Guess what it's called? Locust. It's called Locust. Here's what it stands for. Locust. Low-cost UAV swarming technology. You can Google it, and they have these drones And they are practicing with them for future military maneuvers. And these drones are synchronized with a single command. Makes me think of Joel where they don't break rank. They got one command. And they're not going to break ranks because they're not humans. They're not going to run from the battle. Fascinating. Now, before you get ahead of yourself, the locusts of the Navy program are not the locusts that we're reading about here. But I think it's fascinating that we have such a program in our day for military purposes. To me, it's what I call a postcard. If you're old enough to remember what a postcard was (laughs) from God. Verse seven, the locusts look like horses. They're not horses, but they look like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold. Their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates, like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. 
They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as a king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and Greek Apollyon. In both languages, it simply means destroyer. It's interesting, Proverbs tells us that the normal locusts, chapter 30 of Proverbs, verse 7, locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. These locusts have a king. They're demonic. Fallen angels, presently bound in the abyss, that in this coming day, key to the shaft, loosed, and they will come upon the earth. And the pain they will inflict, like that of a scorpion, where men will long to die and death will elude them. And if you think that's bad, unfortunately, you get to verse 12. Here's what verse 12 says. The first woe is past. That's trumpet number five. Two other woes are yet to come. Trumpet six and trumpet seven. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that's before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. If you were with us in chapter 6, when the tribulation begins and world war breaks out, one-fourth of the population perish. As things intensify, at this point, another third of mankind perishes, perishes and you can't just wrap, you can't wrap your mind around it. That's half of the population. Probably nuclear weapons, but I don't know. But somehow a lot of people are going to die in a short amount of time. And notice what John says, verse 16. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. What does he mean by that? It's such a vast army that when they march, the ground shakes. I heard their number. Just as fascinating as fallen angels in a place called the abyss that will one day be loosed, it's also fascinating me that right now at the river Euphrates, there are four angels, and at a certain time during the tribulation period, they will be given permission to aid this army. What's happening here prophetically, and it's going to happen, is a major Middle Eastern bloodbath. Euphrates is significant for a lot of reasons. Let me give you some of the reasons. The Euphrates, 1,780 miles long, it's one of the original boundaries of the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2. It's also the eastern boundary of the land God promised to Israel. But in light of Revelation chapter 9, it's significant in that on the east side of the Euphrates River, notice the countries represented there. And all throughout history, even when the country was named a different name, it's the same geographical location. And those countries, those countries, in the Bible it's referred to as the kings from or the kings of the east. When we get to Revelation chapter 16, it says the, the Euphrates will be dried up. Whether that's cutting off the dam that will keep the flow from going or whether it's some other way, we don't know. But the Euphrates will be dried up, and it says this when we get to Revelation 16, to prepare the way for the kings from the east. It's an allied army coming from the east, and they're coming west. Where are they going to? 
They're going to, according to places like Zechariah chapter 14, to Jerusalem. They're going against Israel. Zechariah 14, God says, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem on that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her. The kings from the east, this massive army, I heard their number, and they're coming to wipe Israel off the map. But don't worry, because God also prophesies just when they are ready to pounce, and it seems like Israel is doomed, God promises he's going to step in and he's going to defend her. Just before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe God can do that, you haven't read much of the Bible. Thank you. Verse 17, the horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which to inflict injury. Now, there's little doubt that what we're reading is whatever military machinery will be used in this coming day. And you would think That is awful as it's going to be. You would think that people would be falling on their faces before God in repentance and receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. And while some will be saved, and we've seen that, you also have others described in the last two verses of our text this morning. Chapter 9 of Revelation Verse 20, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, the word is pharmakia, drug use involved, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. I read that and I go, are you serious? I mean, really? People are going to be that hard-hearted? People are going to be that stiff-necked? Yes. And while on the one hand I read this and I go, I, I I just go, you stupid! Are you really that stupid? I just, I just, you know, you just kind of go, really? Are you that stupid? And then all of a sudden God gets my attention. And I realize I got a scar on this thumb. And that scar is a daily reminder that when I was five and a half years old, my mother told me not to go into the junkyard. But if you're Danny Hodges at five and a half years old, guess what? I love the junkyard. And so what did I do? Went back to the junkyard behind my mother's back. And at five and a half years old, I got that scar. It almost took my thumb off. It's a big scar for a 61-year-old man. It tells you how bad it was when I was five and a half years old. It's a daily reminder of how stupid I can be. Because my mother loves me. 
She's telling me not to go in the junkyard because she knows if you go in the junkyard, you might get your thumb taken off. We're so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our valued listening audience, and thanks for tuning in today. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of The Living Word? Pray that God would touch each person with His love and open their hearts to the truth of His Word. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to The Living Word? This program is professionally produced to provide the best quality messages possible so as not to distract from the Word. That does incur some costs, however. So if you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Any amount is used for this ministry and is greatly appreciated. Thank you for praying about this. While you're at our website, you'll be able to listen to additional teachings from this series in Revelation as well as learn more about the Living Word. That website once more is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to an end of our time with you today. We pray that God continues to bless you as you study His Word and open your heart to His love and grace. Thanks for listening today to The Living Word.